Welcome back to Brooklands and this edition of The Track. My name's Tim Morris. On today's show, we step back a couple of weeks to the Autumn Motorsport Day. And uh, we speak to uh, one of the organisers of that event, Mike Ward, who tells us uh, what it's all about. We also talk to uh, Glenn Bilquist, who's the creator and driver of a magnificent C16 streamliner car. If you want to find out uh, what that's all about, then carry on listening. We were sad to hear of the passing of the legendary motorcycle racer Phil Reed a few weeks ago. He attended an event uh, we held back in 2019 where he was speaking to Wendy Amy uh, about his life on the track. And we play uh, a short extract from that in the second half of this show. Now over to Mike Ward where I caught up with him on the track. Right, we're over into, uh, I guess you'd call it a paddock, where there's quite a few uh, cars with a good sporting pedigree here. Um, it is Autumn Motorsport Day, and one of the organisers of the events from Auto Italia magazine, Mike Ward. Hiya, Mike. Uh, good to see you. Thanks very much for coming along. Uh, always a pleasure to come to this day anyway. Um, Autumn Motorsport Day's been going for quite a few years now. Oh, yeah, I think we've done eight or, eight or nine of them in a row. Uh, last year we had to cancel because we moved the Italian car day. Uh, but the two years before that we had an awful lot of rain. Uh, so it's absolutely superb to be here at Brooklands with the sun out. Oh, it's just, it's just fantastic. I couldn't have asked for a better day, to be honest. And the, the collection of cars we've got here today is absolutely stupendous. Yeah. So what's the basic idea of a day like this then? It's just a celebration of motorsport from anything from carts up to uh, single-seaters really and everything in between, rally cars, trucks, we've got touring cars, we've got single-seaters, historic abbas and it's, it is a celebration of motorsport and what better place to be at to do that really. Than Brooklyn's which is the birthplace of British motorsport. Certainly is, certainly is and may continue to be <laughs> forever standing. Um, you were obviously involved with Auto Italia magazine. Uh, so we've got quite a few Italian cars here. What's your favourite? Oh, well, that's a that's a tough one actually. But uh, my favourite today is very easy because it's right behind me. This one. It is the Charles Pozzi Le Mans Daytona. All right. And I do believe it uh, won its class at Le Mans in the early seventies. And this is an absolute beast of a car. And it's. Um... Should we go and have a quick look at it? Yeah, absolutely. So we'll go around the other side. Around the other side. Yeah. Now this is not your car, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, not my car at all. No, uh, we, it's owned by a, a, a fabulously uh, generous collector uh, who's been a, a fan of Auto Italia for many, many years. And uh, I've had the pleasure of actually driving this car on the public road in oh, Essex. Right, really? And it on completely unsilenced. Well, uh, we did a, it is. You've got a V12 in the front, a 5 litre V12. It's an absolutely amazing car. And in this form, in full, uh, I think it's Group 4. Group 4 Daytona. Yeah. It's just stunning. Quite a handful, I would think, on a public road. Yes. Um, yeah, it, it makes a lot of noise. It attracts a lot of attention. Yeah. Uh, and it's got the clickety-clack normal Ferrari gear gator, so you have to concentrate on the gear changes. What are you doing? Um, but it's, it's an absolute beast. I mean, it is a racing car with a number plate, and to be able to drive this, it's road registered. I mean, it's done Tour Auto. It's done all sorts of events. Um, Silverson Classic, um, uh, the Marinello Historic Challenge years ago. It's got such a massive history 
uh, but to have it here at Brooklands is an absolute treat. Great, great to have it here. I always find it surprising that cars like this are actually road legal. Yeah, well, uh, Le Mans cars have you to be can road drive legal. It through yeah. Weybridge High Street. No, it's true. No, Le Mans cars have to be road legal and have a passenger right. seat. Yeah, that was part of the rules back then. Stripped out for racing, absolutely. Really, isn't it? it's, yeah, it's uh, this is yeah. uh, the most successful Daytona in history, I do believe. Wow. Okay. Great yeah. to have it here. Oh, well. absolutely. Today, but, uh, amongst, nice, uh, nice highlights. Yeah, we've got Porsches, Skylines, Stratos yeah. replicas, Maserati Ghibli Cup over there, Ford Anglia. There's a little bit of everything for everybody here. And I think that people are bought in their own cars with a bit of a sporting pedigree over in the other paddock. Yeah. Which we're probably going to go and have a look at. In a yeah, the, sort of, uh, the, the basic sort of remit really was something motorsport orientated. Yeah. Um, I know it's a bit of a, a broad church that, but uh, you know, we've got a Mitsubishi Evo in there and uh, Abarth racing car. So there's all a little bit of a, a motorsport sort of tie in. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, it's just fantastic to be in the sunshine in October. That's really a fun day. We've got all yeah. the testing going on over here. Yeah. We're going to be doing some parade laps later on yeah we've got an hour's demonstration on Mercedes-Benz world track famous test hill of course absolutely later on in the which afternoon which is always quite fun yeah but hopefully I'll be taking my own car up there this year so I've, yeah. I haven't done that for a few years oh, so what have you got then? Uh, I've got a Fiat 124 specialty rally car so oh, right, from okay. 1972 well, so I'll, I'll be going onto the track and actually taking up the test hill so yeah. it's very rare to drive my own car yeah, yeah. up the test hill so it should oh, be excellent. quite fun and a lovely day to do it on absolutely Brilliant. yep absolutely lovely. well thanks very much for talking my to us my pleasure good to see you cheers well we're now coming over behind the uh, this transfer chamber and there is an extremely lovely car here, a Streamliner. And we're going to find a bit more about this car because it is absolutely fantastic. So uh, we're going to talk to Glenn. Hi, Glenn. Hi. Hi, Tim. How are you? I'm not too bad, thank right, you. Good. And, um, well, we've got a beautiful car here. I'm absolutely. Pleased to hear that. Thank you. It is fantastic. I saw it going around the, the track a little bit earlier yep. on. That's correct. Um, not a great turning circle, I guess. No, it's not. The fenders are a little bit of the limitation. That's why we we don't have have that big steering ratio. I see. Okay, so what is it? This is a, a streamliner, but it's inspired by a Mercedes record car from 1938 with a Carciola. And uh, when I saw the shape of it and all the nice shapes of uh, this record car from 38 then I was sold and I said I need to build that right. and that was way back so I started to collect uh, engines and frames in order to build it so how long ago did you start this then uh, we started for two and a half years ago okay. so it's quite fast build I think I was gonna say for a car that looks it, yeah, good, it is, going so, so it's, years, it's it, pretty rapid really yeah it is yeah so you were, you were collecting all the bits yep. prior to that yeah um, I mean what bits have you got in here? I mean, we've got, so, got um, two engines here by the look of it. Yeah, so the engine is a straight engine and actually the first car in the world with a straight 16 engine. Okay. Uh, now but that, it's that combined. Is absolutely amazing in itself, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's long. 16 cylinders, <laughs> straight 16. It's two meters long. Goodness me. So, uh, but uh, the engine is a Buick from 1938. Okay. It's uh, two connected engines. So you've got two Buick engines in here? Yes. 
and uh, but they connected uh, sort of a, in technical terms uh, 20 uh, two and a half degrees towards this other so we have a straight 16 cylinder fire order right so 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 it actually works as a true uh, 16 engine okay and uh, yeah then we have four carburetors right to to, uh, give it some speed but this car is built as as a record car so to say mostly for show but we mostly it should go on the straight straight track yes and yeah. uh, so we, we took it to actually our premiere was at Pendant Sands this year okay so we went on the sand yeah give it a good wash afterwards then. yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs> okay so we, we've got four cars we've got straight 16 what's the the cc on this then so, sorry yeah how big is the engine in total the, yeah in the it's is 8.4 liters 8.4 engine 8.4 liter yeah fantastic that's roughly so. two 250 horsepower right so not massive it's not bad but it's, uh, it's at the same bad. time it's old it's an uh, engine from 38 so yeah yeah so this, this car's only been running for how long it, this year just this year yeah, yeah so. may since right. may okay so we're uh, still working on it to tune it and make yeah. it run yeah as and, good and as possible is, how is it made and is it totally your company's made this or yeah no, I know for me this is a hobby go down to Halfords and get bits off the shelf no no so. no I have I have created the body myself so the whole thing and, and and then my father he he's more on the, on the engine side so okay. he works on the engines so he did that. yeah and electricity so I do the body and chassis work so, so is, I mean the chassis is built it's a one-off it's not based on anything it, it is actually so it's based on a Chevrolet from oh, 1939 okay it's a truck a truck chassis yeah so so we build it with the old old parts because we really want to make sure it has sort of a Old parts, so, so it's really yeah. pre-war. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, the basics of when we build cars. Oh, and the, the, these teardrop-shaped yeah. fenders, I mean, they're, they're amazing to look at. How, how are they made? What are they made of? Aluminium. It's all aluminium. Yeah, yeah. So. And the rear fender is 255 long. Right. Two, uh, 2.5 uh, yeah. meters long. Okay. Meaning a defender is longer than the longest person in the world. <laughs> that was so the case. What are your plans for the car now? Lots more shows? Yeah, uh, for this year it's uh, over. Just this is the last show. Oh, okay. So now we go home and, and working on the car to make it run more smoothly. And mm. So there's always something to do on the car. Yeah, there's always a lot of tinkering. Well, well, Dave knows that. Yeah. Home, home in Sweden? Sweden. Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we have MG events out there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. So this will be going back after this show back to Sweden then. Yeah, we do. Over winter in your place, being tinkered with a bit more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and make it ready for the next year. Yeah. What's it actually like to drive then? Is it it's quite hard? easy. No, it's very easy. Yeah. It, uh, the yeah. cockpit is very tight, but yeah, that's yeah. probably yeah, due to my size as well. Yeah, it's small. Yeah. yeah, you're not a small chap, <laughs> are you? So, yeah. So, but it worked. No, it's clambering and out. Once you're in there and you're driving it, it must be quite heavy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it it works quite well, I would say. Mm. So, uh, no, it's fun to drive. You haven't got power steering. No, I don't. (laughs) Oh, I don't want any of that modern stuff, do we? Goodness me, no. Well, I have to say, it's a credit to you and your dad. Yeah. Thank you, um, thank to you. produce something like this. And it's great to see it over here in this yeah. country. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, at shows you. and events like this, uh, 
Brooklyn's Autumn Motorsport Day. Yeah, we were really pleased to be invited, so we are really, okay. really pleased. Yeah, Brilliant. Anyway, we look forward to seeing you next year then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Ninety-two single Pop Kiss. Now, Blue Boy were formed uh, by Keith Girdler and Paul Stewart and ran from about 1989 through to 1998. Uh, you may be wondering why we're playing them on the track today, as uh, most of our tracks that we do play have some connection with Brooklands. This is no exception. Paul Stewart, the guitarist who you heard to good effect on that track, uh, was actually as a former marketing manager 
at Brooklyn's Museum. If you want to hear more of Blue Boy, search them out on Spotify or uh, search on YouTube for official Blue Boy when you'll find some videos of Paul playing acoustic versions of Blue Boy songs uh, during the lockdown. Now, over to Wendy Amy, who's talking to Phil Reed in uh, 2019. Can we, can we start at the very beginning? And, um, really? Yeah. Who, who or what inspired you to race bikes, to actually race bikes? Well, actually, my father, when I was about 15, took me. My father was separated from my mother. He had an MSS Veloset, and he took me on the, on, the, on the back of his bike up to Silverstone from Luton. And uh, we sat in the grandstand at, uh, at Woodcock, and I watched the Jeff Duke and John Surtees, and I thought, how oh, that's what I want to be. I want to be a racing motorcyclist. So uh, <clears throat> that, that was my, my first introduction. And, uh, and having had a motorcycle since I was, well, 13, to uh, slide around my, uh, my mother's farm, Ashfelt, uh, area, um, I sort of got the feeling of riding a bike, of sliding it around like a speedway rider. You know, it was a 250 matchless side valve, hand change. And I remember my mother, who actually uh, went on her money, honeymoon on, on two motorcycles, with my father, of course. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, and on these Aero Red Hunters, and she'd had her first motorcycle in, in 19... Uh, it, it, before the war. <laughs> and imagine, it was a, it was a belt drive, hand change, um, push drive, push start, um, New Hudson. Imagine uh, watch, seeing a woman in 1923 pushing a motorcycle to start it and jumping on side saddle. I mean, it must be quite amazing, and she was an amazing woman who really helped me in the beginning a lot, obviously financially, and with the freedom. This is after, even after I'd written off a, a new Triumph Mayflower, I'd rolled it on November the 5th, would you believe? That ended with a big bang that night. <laughs> Anyway, it was good enough to drive home. So I leaned it in the garage. <laughs> and uh, she was pretty upset, but still helped me financially and bought me a, a small A40 van to take my racing bikes around. After my first ever race at Mallory Park of 13th of May 1956, when <clears throat> she followed me up in, my, uh, in, her, in the Triumph Mayflower with my tools and leathers and everything, and we pitched the tent in the paddock and uh, I raced and slid off at the hairpin and didn't make the final. And I put the lights back on and the silencer back on and we rode, rode, I rode back to Luton. So that was really my first, uh, first motorcycle event, quite historic. The first ever meeting at Mallory Park and I didn't win this one. But, uh, what other bikes did you have at the very beginning? That was my 350 Gold Star. Uh, bought from Bert England's at, uh, at Dunstable, quite a famous name in motorcycling then, in the in, in the fifties. So, um, other bikes that you rode at the very beginning? Well, that that was it. I raced that for a couple of years, and then then bought a <clears throat> a Jeff Duke BSA, which is a bit better, 
race at Silverstone Saturday, um, and uh, and I'd caught up with the two two leaders, I think Lewis, John Lewis, and and uh, I forget the other rider, and it was a bit damp. The circuit it had been raining a bit, and I wondered why they were going so slow. And I found out at Stowe, and it high side of me pitched me off uh, and broke my wrist. So. Uh, Anyway, I learned a lot to, to ride it in damp conditions. So, uh, that... Right. Oh, sorry. Your first big success uh, was in the Isle of Man, of course, uh, winning the Junior TT in 1961. What did you think of the island and road racing in particular uh, compared with circuits? Well, I was young and, and, and uh, I'm pretty... Uh, <clears throat> I'm pretty stupid at the time, and I used to race around on the roads. I'm lucky not to have uh, killed myself. But I, I took my uh, Manx Norton, which I'd bought sort of second-hand from Pete Furbrash. The, uh, he was a, a tail gunner during the war. And I was heard stories that uh, when he travelled and raced around uh, the continent, he was frightened that he'd be recognised and attacked. <laughs> But uh, he, survived the, he survived the war. Anyway, I did the Manx Grand Prix in 1958, uh, 59, uh, and 1960, when I had, with the help of uh, Jeff Murlock of, uh, of Esso uh, Fuel, he gave me a bit of sponsorship enough to buy uh, one new bike. And uh, I, uh, <clears throat> obviously, I'd the circuit pretty well over there. Although, one time in, during the Manx, in my last year in the Manx Grand Prix, or before I'd won it in 1960 at record speed, one of the, the chief marshals said to me, I've had reports you're riding dangerously. Of course, I didn't take any notice of him, but I did win the race at record speed. And uh, so, uh, so that was good. But then, of course, you, having ridden or raced or won the Manx Grand Prix, which was uh, on the on the mountain circuit, um, it was not uh, recognised that you, you you rode in again, so you progressed to the TT, where there was prize money, which was good, and uh, somehow it, I managed to win it with the, the junior TT. Uh, okay, Gary Hocking on the on the MV was uh, I think second because one of the pistons uh, collapsed or he dropped a valve in. And on the last lap, I passed him in, in Ramsey, gave him the wave, and, and disappeared. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it was quite thrilling. I remember <clears throat> just go, driving into the paddock and then walking up to speak to Murray Walker. And he said, well, well done, Phil. Uh, you've won. I said, have I really? I thought I was second, so I didn't realize I was, I, I was leading. Because, um, OK, all the public were waving. On, on my last lap, I thought it was because I was second behind behind Mike, Edward, who'd actually stopped earlier. Unfortunately, I think with a broken condor. Thank you, Bill Lacey. <laughs> yeah, so uh, he said, oh, so Phil, I see you're limping there. Why is that? I said, if you'd changed gear 5,000 times in the last two hours, you'd be limping. <laughs> anyway, I mean, Murray Walker, we all miss him. We like uh, I, I listen to these. Well, the commentaries, okay, the Manor Grand Prix commentaries are fine, but the Formula One is pretty useless, I think, with, with Murray there. It would be uh, 
much yeah, more interesting and long live Murray. Getting, getting back to bikes, um, you raced a Jalira also for Jeff Duke. Uh, what did you think of the team? Yeah, and I was like the, the fill-in boy because I think he was sponsored by, uh, by Castrol to bring the Jaliras back. Most of them hadn't been raced for, for five or six years. And they were brought back and they put new tyres on and they took off the full fairings and put on these Dolphin fairings and uh, not much else was done. And of course, we were racing against Mike the Bike and great Mike Howard on the MV that uh, had been developed over the, uh, those previous years. And uh, obviously I was the new boy because uh, Derek Minter had hurt himself and, and couldn't ride. So I was drafted in. Obviously, Jeff was earning extra money for, for two riders as opposed to John Hartle. And, uh, okay, I'd won the TT and I'd won a lot of <clears throat> um, short circuit races. But we went to the first Grand Prix was at Hockenheim when we only, it was only eligible for 350s and it was a long oval circuit. And I think the production 350 honours were lapping at it at 10 seconds faster. And I came into the, into the pits and stopped and Duke came out to me and said, you're not changing gear properly, you know, <laughs> because I was lapping so slow. I said, I think it's the bike in actual fact. Anyway, we didn't have a happy time because the, I mean, the, 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 the 500 round the Isle of Man was, was a bit of a monster. And we found out why at the end of the year when Jeff D went to Monza with, with a Julera fitted with Earl's forks. Um, they were the leading link forks at the front. And, uh, and one of the engineers came up to, uh, to Jeff Duke and said, oh, I said, you're having problem with handling, but when we were running the full the full fairings, we'd actually move the engine back um, five inches to, to, <clears throat> to reduce the, the loading on the front tyre, which was wearing out. And um, obviously Jeff realised why they weren't handling. I mean, the, the front was too light, the, the centre of gravity was too far back, and uh, this is why I, I felt most, uh, most uncomfortable in the other man. You didn't know where it was going. So anyway, I survived that period. Brooklyn's News. The work on the uh, restoration of the clubhouse and the installation of the lift uh, is still ongoing, but all the clubhouse facilities are open, including the cafe and the members' bar. We're delighted that BMTV have amassed over a million views. If you want to see uh, some of the videos that are on our channel at the moment, just go to YouTube and search for Brooklyn's Members TV. Coming up at the museum this month is uh, Military Vehicle Day on the 6th of November. And then Peter Stevens will be with us. He's the car designer. He'll be uh, talking to us on the 17th of November. And look out on our website for the 2023 talk season, which is just beginning to be announced now. On the 25th of November, we have the members' dinner, where uh, Damon Hill will be our special guest, and he'll be answering questions from those attending. As usual, you can find uh, all the information about Brooklands on the website at brooklandsmuseum.com. Thanks for listening.
Mm-hmm.